I'd like to welcome everybody that's watching online by YouTube or listening on podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm continuing on with my series on blind mind. There's a lot to talk about about mental health. You know, dealing with the mind and the thoughts that are inside of your head is a really, really, really big topic. There are so many different things that affect the way we think, aren't there? Things that we believe, things we've been told, choices and decisions that we've made. Even chemical imbalances can affect what's going on inside your head. And so we're tackling a very, very heavy-weighted subject that I know a lot of times can be a little bit difficult on a Sunday morning. My heart is to always make you laugh and tell you good stories and share my own stories, but you have to also understand that the real heartbeat behind while we're here is to, to get the revelation that we need to walk in true freedom that God has for us. Information by itself won't change your life, but applied information that becomes revelation for you will change your life. Lives aren't changed in a monologue. Now, when God's presence comes, and we have an experience, or you hear a word that becomes personal to your own life and applicable to you, it can begin the process of transformation, but you have to put action to it. So I only get you for a short time on a Sunday morning, right? I get you for a couple hours, and I only preach for maybe a little bit too long of that sometimes, but hey, it is what it is. I only get you for a little bit of time. And what I want more than anything is for you and everybody that's listening to be normal Christians. The challenge is most people don't know what normal Christianity looks like. And what the world is seeing and what people see on TV or a lot of the representations of so-called normal Christianity it's not something a lot of people want. Many people are misguided by who Jesus really is, and the Jesus that's being portrayed by religion isn't cutting it. And so my heart in this short amount of time is to get straight at the Word, tell you personal stories about my own life and things that I believe you could be struggling with or somebody that you know is struggling with so that when you leave these four walls or after you listen to this message, you have tools and resources to make a change or to help people change. That's what I want for you. But that's only going to come with application, and that only comes with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about a lot of things in this series. And yes, I share my story a lot. I came out of drugs and alcohol and Grateful Dead concerts and prison and pornography and promiscuity. That was my past. But I realized that's not all y'all's past, and that's not everybody's uh, struggle. You know, I talk about people spinning out, and my wife was very good to correct me and help me that, hey, not everybody spins out the way that I did. And I listened, and she's right. But the truth is, is you don't have to necessarily spin out on alcohol and drugs and pornography and bar hopping and living a promiscuous lifestyle. You can still be checked out and not do those things. You can still be disengaged or not present or preoccupied. You can still believe lies about yourself. You can still have shame. And you can still wallow in it. You can still battle depression and never go do all those things that I did. And I want you to know that I understand that. But my heart, every time we meet and every time you listen to me preach, is to give you biblical tools and spiritual insight of how to walk out of here and live differently. 
and I don't mince my words about it. And I realize sometimes I give you a lot of scripture, and sometimes you're yawning, and sometimes it's like, it's a heavy topic. I get it. And I always do my best to make it light and make it enjoyable for you. But what matters the most in this short amount of time is that I challenge you to live differently, and I give you scriptures that make sense and are applicable and real tools to live differently. That's my heartbeat. So here's what I know. I know that there's somebody that hates me. I know that. Now, in general, I don't have really on earth a lot of enemies per se. There's people that have spoken negatively about me in this church. There's people that have tried to discredit me, and it's not happening a lot right now, but probably as this church gets bigger, it's going to happen a little bit more. In fact, the Bible promises that anybody that's going to live a godly life is going to be persecuted. The more you desire or pursue being more flamed on spiritually or coming to a church like this or embracing the things of God, somebody's going to say something about you. And I've got great news for you. Not everybody's going to like you, and that's okay. Not everybody likes me or my style or my preference or the style of preference of this church. Most of you do because you're still here and you keep coming back. But there are people that don't stay, and that's okay. What we realize is somebody's not going to like you. Somebody's going to say something about you. But when you get flamed on spiritually, you can bet and count that persecution from somewhere is going to come. Now, like I said earlier, I can't think of necessarily an enemy of somebody that really hates me except for one person. And this one person that absolutely hates my guts hates your guts. And of course, that person in the Bible is known as an enemy, he's known as an avenger, and he's known as an accuser. Now, he's not an avenger like the superhero Avengers, all right? I'm going to teach you a word today about an avenger or an accuser. To avenge means to have pure hatred for and want to pay back. It means that I have malicious intent to kill you and to destroy you because I hate you. And that person that hates me hates you. And you say, Pastor, how come you talk so much about spiritual warfare? And, you know, you talk a lot about the enemy and the devil. I said, first of all, you need to know we're talking about the mind and the way you think. And I know what the Bible says. And I know what I deal with at my coffee shops week in and week out with people spinning out in shame and anger, and hatred, and bitterness, and drugs, and alcohol, and all the other things are just being checked out, having broken marriages. The world is spinning out, but I want us as the body of Christ not to spin out, and I know where the root of it's coming from. I know it's, it's, a, it's a real, real issue if we don't renew our minds and believe the truth and learn how to fight back right. So what I do each week is I teach you how to fight back right. And right now, as we're talking about our mind, we have to realize that everybody's hearing a voice from somewhere. It's either yourself, it's either the enemy, it's somebody else, or it's the Lord. And not every voice inside your head is your own. So I want to teach you how to hear God's voice and distinguish between a truth and a lie. The enemy's always speaking lies. And by the way, Not every lie that gets into your head about you or Jesus or somebody else comes from a little fluttering demon that spoke in your ear. A lot of times, lies come from something that we've erroneously believed for a long time. What happens if you believe a lie for a really long time? It can become a reality or a truth to you. So if you were raised in a home that was abusive, 
or parents that spoke negative, hurtful things to you continuously, that gets in your conscience. And then you have a root system inside of your conscience that now you're just telling yourself you're an idiot. You know, I self-deprecated last week and I kind of kicked myself a little bit about it, but then I realized, you know what? I can only be real raw and honest when I get up here. I can't explain everything, but I try. But a lot of times I, I know the truth and I set these expectations for myself, but when I fall short, I get mad at myself or I get angry at myself. And out of one side of my mouth, I told you this last week, I'm literally speaking curses or anger about myself. And man, how could you do that? You knew better. You're such an idiot. Man, what an idiot you are. And then out of one side of my mouth, I'm saying, but God, is, you're so good. You're so faithful. And I've got both these things coming out of my mouth. Do any of you ever do that? You set these expectations for yourself, and when you fall short, you feel like, man, I'm such a failure. But do you know that God never calls us those things? And so today, I want to I help you to overcome lies that the enemy speaks in your head. You know, people ask me all the time, they say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I give, I've given my life to Jesus, but I, how do I stop all these lies and false belief systems that are continuously popping in my head? And so today, I'm going to give you some answers. One great answer is understanding the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. The Lord says, look, you're in a war. Put on the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for the readiness of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, which is the words of the enemy, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and the helmet of salvation. So think about a helmet. What's it guard? And it's the helmet of salvation. So salvation means to be saved means what Jesus did for you on the cross and how he paid the price and now what that has caused to happen in your life. It's made you healthy and whole. So now when I once had a spirit of fear, worry, doubt, rejection, social anxiety, worried about what other people thought of me. When I once had a man-pleasing spirit and always trying to please everybody so you'd come back or like me, now I'm confident and secure. I know who I am in my identity, and I walk in confident power because I have a sound mind. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so learning things biblically of how to renew your mind is very, very important. Last week, I shared with you how people spin out. And God says, look, don't be like the world. Take off the old man and put on the new man. Let's say that together. Take off the old man and put on the new man. And what he says is, let the old you die. You've got to let the old you die. When you get born again, it's a new process of a new life. That means he changes the way we process, the way we think. He doesn't necessarily change your personality and who you are. He just redeems it for his purpose, right? And so many people are constantly battling voices inside their head and feeling dishonored. You know what it means to be dishonored? It means to have, feel, not feel valued. It means that you feel like people don't really care or that people are thinking something about you or you're not good enough or you're disgraced or you don't measure up. That's where people get social anxiety. Is that, one, if I, if I have dishonor and shame in my life, then when I get around other people... I am worried or afraid of what they're going to think about me. 
and I don't really want to talk to anybody. That's why most of the time when we're going through a hard time, we just isolate ourselves, or we have social anxiety, and we don't feel comfortable being around people. So let me show this to you. In Psalm 44, verse 15, you are going to love these two scriptures. Psalm 44, verse 15. My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. So to, to be dishonored means that you're constantly being accused and disgraced, feeling less than, not feeling valued, feeling like you have no value, that nobody honors you, that you're not integrous, that you're a liar, that you, that you are broken and can never be fixed, or God's not for you. There's a lot of things that happen in dishonor, a lot of things. And they directly correlate to your value and your identity of who you are. Now, dishonor and everything that goes with dishonor is one of the leading causes of shame. Shame is a painful feeling of inadequacy and not being good enough. Shame often is rooted in dishonor. Parents didn't value you. You weren't nourished in your home. You, didn't, you weren't loved. You weren't told the greatness of who God is and who you are. See, I can look around this room right now and probably go pick, pick a lot of you out and prophesy, read your mail, and even call sin out. But I would never do that because instead what I would do is I look at you and I show you how God sees you and how much he loves you instead of how jacked up you are. Because most people are battling the feeling of how jacked up they are already, aren't they? You don't necessarily even need somebody else to tell you. The hard part is, is we often don't see ourselves the way God sees us. If you could see what I see, if you could see what Jesus sees about you, it would change you. So dishonor manifests itself in your countenance. You know what a countenance is? Anybody know what a countenance is? Your countenance is the facial expression on your face. And when I'm shamed, my countenance reveals itself on my face. And then it fully will get in me and cover me. That's what dishonor and shame do. Here it is in the scripture. It's a shame-based conscience. Now, what do a lot of people do with shame? They can pretend. They can put on a plastic smile. They can put on a front. They can preserve themselves. I can keep you at a distance, never really getting close to somebody. There's a lot of ways that shame can manifest itself, but it always has a root in dishonor, and I believe the greatest root comes in your identity. And your identity is a son and a daughter when you get born again. But I want you to really see this next scripture. Why is dishonor continually? How often is dishonor there? Continually. Why is it continually before us and shame constantly trying to cover our lives? Next verse. Because there's a voice. Let's say this together. There is a voice. And that voice is constantly reproaching and reviling you. And where's it coming from? an enemy, and an avenger. And so today we're going to talk about silencing the avenger. Silencing the avenger. The devil doesn't want you to live in the hope and the life and the liberty that God's called you to live in. So he strikes back with malicious revenge to inflict pain and punishment and to bring retribution for what happened to him when Jesus died on the cross. The signs of the enemy actively working in somebody's life <coughs> are reproaching, reviling, shame, and dishonor. To be reproached means 
to find fault, to blame, or to have a victim mentality. It's constant reproach that what's the matter with you? You are so jacked up, you're to blame, or flip the coin, it was somebody else's fault. It was my parents' fault, it was my ex's fault, it was my boss's fault, and we play a victim mentality. It's constantly being under reproach. And some of you may feel that way. The enemy bombards us with reproach. The next thing is to be reviled. You know what it means to be reviled? To be reviled means to assail you with abusive talk. And some of you got abusive talk going inside of your head. You're just speaking negativity and lies and fear and worry inside of your brain. That's why God would have the counter. God would actually want to come and brainwash you with his word. And he says, renew your mind. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 2. Just present yourself to me and let me, as you come as a sacrifice, renew your mind through the washing of the water of the word. So God renews your mind when the enemy reviles you. The enemy wants to dishonor you. How often? You guys with me? Continually, he wants to dishonor you. Now, I know I say this a lot, and I know that I seem to be a little bit aggressive for some of you, and it's like, man, another thing, another spiritual warfare, this. Look, I'm talking about mental illness and helping you to be free. I know what the enemy does, and I live in it because I know I'm on a mission. I'm fired up, and I'm excited, and I got a big smile on my face. I want you to know that. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my life. I'm thankful, and I'm grateful. I know what Jesus has done, and I'm fired up about it. But I also know that the enemy doesn't have a part-time job. It's not part-time. How often does he try to dishonor you? Let me back it up again. Revelations 12.10. I quote this scripture to you all the time, but I'm going to hit it again. You know why? Because repetition is the mother of all learning. That's why you meditate on the word day and night, Joshua 1.8. Be careful to observe all that I've called you to do and meditate on my law or my word. How often? Day and night. Now, I think that, sadly, a lot of Christians won't get this aggressive, but I'm sure going to work on you on overtime to get you there. We're on a mission, and we're not called to just be nice, comfortable Christians. This isn't nice Christianity. Does God want us to be nice? Yeah, but nice isn't a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is. And yeah, I like nice people. But the point is, is this isn't our nice little Christian utopia. People are hurting and broken and spinning out every day around us in sickness, death, disease, injustice. Prostitution, human trafficking, strippers, dancers, aborted children everywhere around us. Neglected children, abused children. We can't sit idly by and be quiet. God wants an aggressive church. Does he want us to have rest and reprieve and love Jesus and have, have times of vacations and fun? Yeah. But even in our aggressiveness, it should be fired up and fun because we're busting up the kingdom of darkness. Amen? So, the voice of the avenger and the accuser, what does it mean to be accused? Let's pull that scripture back up. There's two things in this scripture I want to point out. More power comes when the enemy comes. Notice the scripture. Now, strength and salvation, kingdom of God, and the power of our Christ have come. Why? Because the enemy has been cast down, 
And the enemy that is coming against you is an accuser of the brethren, meaning sons and daughters and Christians are constantly under accusation. How often does the enemy try to accuse you? Look at the scripture. Day and night. Day and night. Everybody say day and night. I, I want to get this inside of you because you've got to see that he works on overtime. Now, I'm not devil happy and it's always the devil. I've just learned to honestly be obedient to the Lord, walk in the confidence of who I am, and I pay him no mind. And then when he tries to come and speak a lie to me, I already know who I am and I'm confident and I'm not opening the doors in a life of sin. So he just needs to shut up and get back. He's already defeated. Resist, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But I got to get you to that spot. So what does it mean to be accused? To be accused is a claim or a charge against you. It's an accusation. You stand accused. And that charge is as if you are guilty. I'm accusing you because I believe you're guilty. You stole something from me. You lied to me. You robbed me. You're living a lie. You're living, in, there's all kinds of accusations, but the most, the greatest accusations that the enemy brings is as, if, is, is as if you committed a crime or an offense, that you did something wrong. And when you think that you did something wrong, often that leads to something's wrong with me. Namely, that God isn't for you, you're a screw up, what you believe isn't true, he's a liar, and it's the same ploy and tactic that the devil used in the Garden of Eden against Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden of pleasure and delight. They have it made. It's wonderful. There's no shame. There's no darkness. There's no pain. Here comes the enemy say, did God really say? To get you to doubt and question the faithfulness and the goodness of God. It's an accusation. And that accusation is always an assault on your honor. It's always an assault on who you are. That something's wrong with you. You're broken. You're jacked up. Accusation can come in a lot of different forms. And so God would use this incredible tool to silence. How many of you would like the voices and the lies to be silenced? Yeah. Now, most of you that are coming to Rock City consistently, consistently should be growing more so to where I'm at and becoming more like Jesus, where you're not finding yourself beat down and depressed. I have my moments, but you should be growing now. But every day, somebody new's walking into this church, and we can't leave anybody behind. So I'm, I, this is applicable to all of us, because even when the enemy tries to beat me down, I have a weapon. Let's everybody say, I have a weapon. I'm going to show it to you right now. It comes from Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Since it's Palm Sunday, I'm going to show you a scripture that Jesus would quote in the temple when the children were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And the religious leaders and the chief priests and the scribes would be like, shut up, shut up, be quiet. Stop saying that. Don't let them cry out. What authority do you have? Silence them. And the Bible says that they were indignant. I'm going to show you the story in a minute. They were full of fury and anger. And Jesus said, well, haven't you read this? Now, he quotes just the first part of it, but it's all one scripture. And it goes hand in hand. Let's look at it together. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, God has ordained strength. Why? 
Why did God ordain strength out of babes and nursing infants? The scripture's right here. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Now I'm gonna teach you something awesome that you can take home today. First of all, babes and nursing infants. Let me explain that to you. Babes doesn't mean hot chicks. Now, I thought that was funny, but some of you are giving me such a funny look. Come on, guys. You can lighten up a little bit. Babes and nursing infants means a whole lot of things. First of all, it means a new generation. It means the young ones, the ones we dedicated to the Lord today. It means your sons and daughters. If you're a parent here, it means your sons and daughters. It means now, you know, I know a lot of you have been hurt and wounded and have had past issues with church hurts or pastor hurts. I know that. And in, in many cases, it wasn't always their fault. It was our own stubbornness to want to do our own thing. But at some point, we have to get past that. But what can you imagine what it would be like to build a church where our kids and this family can be healthy and they can be raised without being jaded or jacked up with dysfunction? Because the contrast here is the religious spirit of the day was infecting generations of who God really was. And so the Lord would say, out of children, out of babes and nursing infants, the weak ones, I'm going to ordain strength. And that's fully applicable to our lives. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 72 to cast out demons and heal the sick and go house to house on an evangelistic mission, they came back rejoicing that they had busted up demons and cast them out in his name. And you know what Jesus said to them? He said, don't rejoice that you had that kind of power but rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then right after that, it says, he wildly danced and praised God because God revealed himself not to the wise, the mature, and the prudent, but to the babes. Here's my point. Right now, right where you're at, sitting in your chair, if you've given your life to Jesus, you don't have to be high and mighty and super knowledgeable and have come to where I'm at over the course of time. In fact, I have to keep decreasing. The Bible says unless you be converted and become like a child, I have to stay childlike, not stiff. But I'd be a mean old pastor, and I don't want to be, you know, 85 and mean. I want to stay fired up all the days of my life. And so babes and nursing infants is applicable to the weak, the broken, because you're going to see in a minute when I read to you the Palm Sunday story that children were crying out. The lame and the blind were getting healed. That's us. God loves you so much that right where you're at, he ordains strength. Out of your mouth, you have the ability to silence the voice of the enemy. So babes and nursing infants, he's ordained strength. You know what it means to be ordained? It's not me handing you a piece of paper and praying over you. It's not that you went through six years of Bible school and now you passed my test. To be ordained means to be chosen, appointed, empowered, and anointed. And you know what happens when you get born again? You get an ordination from God. And you think, well, I needed to go to Bible school. And you just, no. Actually, biblically, you won't find that. Do you need to grow? Do you need to learn? Do, you, do we need to entrust those that aren't novices? Yes. If we just start, you know, ordaining people left and right that 
don't produce fruit and haven't stayed the course and aren't biblically knowledgeable, then you're going to have a bunch of people walking around with microphones that don't know what they're talking about. But bigger than that, it's not about a man-made structure system. God ordains you. I wish you could see that. You should get so fired up about this. You are ordained by God in strength to do something powerful. And I want you to see what it is. Notice it says out of the mouth of babes and nursing him is the ordained strength. Why? Because of our enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. To declare something out of our mouth is to speak what is inside of us. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James chapter 1 verse 26 says, if anybody claims to be religious and doesn't bridle their tongue, they're deceived. What you say, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue can set a forest on fire. <clears throat> and when we're hurting on the inside, we're going to speak death on the outside, or we'll at least speak it to ourselves. So what he's saying is, is that when you declare, you know, when you declare who Jesus is, when you declare life, when you speak truth, you're silencing the other voice. You're silencing the other voice. If I can get you to speak life over yourself and not death, if I can get you to declare God's word and who he is and speak the truth, you will silence the lies of the enemy in your life and in other people's lives. So he ordains strength. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. When I am weak, he is strong. So God ordains strength out of my mouth because of, the, because of my enemy and the voice. Notice it's a voice of an enemy and a voice of an avenger. You know what Jesus calls this? Perfect, perfected praise. Perfected praise. Here's perfected praise. People are speaking bad things about me, lying about me. The devil's telling me lies about me. I've battled shame and dishonor and value in my past. But now perfect praise is I am going to speak the greatness of who God is in the face of my adversities and my enemies because I believe it on the inside. Let me, let's read the story. Let's read the story. Matthew chapter 21, verse 6. So we're going to pick up basically right before this. Jesus and the disciples are on Bethany at Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is about to have the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples to go into the city and get a, a colt tied up with its mother, a donkey, and bring them to him. And if anybody asks him, ask the disciples, why are you taking them? Say, the Lord has need of it. Now we pick up from here. Matthew 21, verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set, a, set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. 
And then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus said to them, haven't you read Psalm 8 too? I love that, haven't you read? And I just want to lovingly say to you again, just like a broken record, you have got to read your Bible. Let me tell you why. Because when God does something, if you don't have a knowledge and understanding to a certain degree of what the Word says, you won't understand what He's doing. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, all the people were wondering, what is this? Peter stands up and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let's everybody say this together. This is that. Say it again. This is that. You won't have any this is that. Notice when, the, when Jesus came riding and people are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us now and rescue us, prosper us, heal us, transform us, do what you said you're supposed to do, Messiah. Save now, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Psalm 118. The children had a knowledge and understanding of God's word. I love it when I, say to, when I tell my kids, I'm going to tell you a Bible story tonight. Have you ever heard about, you know, there's a bunch of them, Jonah, Daniel, Joseph, Adam and Eve. I've run out of stories at this point. They're like, oh, we've heard that. We've heard that. So, so you know what I started doing now? This is funny. I said, oh, you've heard that? Well, then tell me the story. Yeah! <laughs> and I'm making my own kids tell the stories back to me now. They're telling the bedtime stories. And so this is that. It's so important. Jesus says, have you never read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, and I love how he, he paraphrases scripture, you have perfected praise. Notice that wasn't in Psalm 8 too. Jesus summarized Psalm 8 too, and he called it perfected praise. Here's perfected praise, friends. Perfected praise is that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, I'm lauding him. Do you know what it means to laud? How many of you know what it means to laud? Not laud Jesus. I'm not about lauding Jesus. Thank you, Anthony, for that. Laud means to out loud, out of my mouth, publicly honor and praise someone. So I say, Jeremy, Lauren, you both have done such an incredible job in loving people at regeneration and the young and the hurting and the young adults and the high schoolers. You've done a great job representing me, and I trust you fully. And I want everybody to know here that I trust them. They've worked hard. They've labored well. They care deeply. They have hearts for Jesus and hearts to see you be healthy. You've done a phenomenal job, and I wouldn't want to do this without you. And I want to say thank you so much. You really, really become great friends, and you're incredible. And I can't begin to say thank you enough. I just lauded them. 
publicly. You see, lauding Jesus isn't a personality thing. But yet when it comes time to laud the Lord, we're silent and quiet. And it's not just publicly, it's privately. I've learned to laud Jesus out of the mouth of you, wherever you're at right now. You can publicly declare who he is. That's why you got to read the word. Jesus, I'm going to laud Jesus right now. Here's what it looks like. You're so faithful, Lord. Thank you, God, for how kind you are to me. You've forgiven me. You washed me in your blood. Your blood speaks a better word. You chose me. You've appointed me. You've anointed me. You care for me. I worship you, Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I'm blind and I'm lame and I'm hurting and I've been beat down and I've burned things down to the ground and I've been such a failure. But Lord, I know who you are. I know you love me. Heal me, Jesus. I'm coming to you, God. Hosanna. Hosanna. And I'm lauding and publicly praising God instead of being silent and quiet and religious. I'm being on fire. Because some of us can get really, really loud and be uninhibited when we have several shots of tequila. And I used to go to clubs and bars and reggae, hear reggae music and get up on the table. I had five, six, nine shots of tequila. The reggae music's playing. The palm trees are swaying. Full moon out. The beach is rolling. It's a beautiful night, and I'm wild and free. That's the old me, by the way. But we come into God's house, and somehow we're quiet. We've, we somehow missed all the scriptures about shouting to the Lord. Hosanna, we love the Palm Sunday story, but we don't really see the context. Jesus comes and kicks serious hiney in the temple, drives out the religious spirit, because that's what the money changers represented. And when you get the religious spirit out of your own life, you can get healed. And when you realize I've been blind and lame, and I'm coming to Jesus just as I am, and I'm going to laud him even in my infancy, Hosanna! Save me, rescue me. And Jesus says, I'm going to heal you. The context of Psalm 8-2 was happening in the natural. Here's how. It's really hard sometimes for me, I'll be real honest with you, okay? and be super transparent right now. And don't anybody take this as a self-condemnation thing. It's hard for me to see people not worship. It's hard. A lot of times I have to just close my eyes, okay? And I'm not doing just that because I don't want to look at you. It's just because I don't want to get distracted. But I also know that people come to visit this church, and I are, it's, it happens every Sunday. Somebody's visiting. Somebody's checking me out. I'm under the microscope. People are determining whether they like me or not or they want to stay. I watch people leave while I preach. It already has happened today. Some people just for whatever reason don't like me. I don't know why. Maybe it's my stop. Maybe I'm too loud. I don't know what it is. <laughs> or the worship was, then like the worship. I don't know what it is. It's a style and preference thing, not a spirit-led thing. And it drives me nuts. But it's hard because if I start thinking about those people and what they think about me while I'm worshiping, I shut down. If I'm worried about what you think about me when I lift my hands, guess what I won't do? Lift my hands. I hear it all the time. You know, I came to your church. I don't know why all those people have to lift their hands. It's just a show to me. It's like they're showing off. 
heard it? Why do I have to dance? Why do I have to be so wild? Why is everybody up front like that? Why do you turn the lights down? How come you worship so long? Why didn't you just keep singing the song and you sang prophetically? It's a style and preference thing. It's not a spirit of God thing. We're going by our likes and dislikes, and more often it's based on our preconceived ideas of the churches we were raised in. In fact, the Bible, what's going on in heaven, blows this. This is like silly kid time compared to what's going on around the throne. And when it comes time to laud the Lord, which silences that voice in this whole room. Because, listen, there's going to be 156 services in one year. Some services I feel iced out. And some services I'm like roaring like a freight train. But I learned to stay consistent, and I learned no matter what the enemy tries to bring my way, I renew my mind, and I laud Jesus with the word. One of the best things you can do is read your Bible and quote back to God the Psalms. The Psalms are the modern-day worship manual. Go pick out scriptures and start declaring them. Jesus, your mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. Oh, my soul, why are you downcast within me? Put your hope and trust in the Lord. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I lost my loved one. I lost a friend. I lost this. I'm hurting. My, my, my fiance broke up with me at the last minute. I deal with that kind of stuff. I'm, I feel like I'm dying. I lost a child. I had a miscarriage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff comfort me. And here's the thing. I'm out to build a family and an army, not a nice, comfortable church. I'm sorry. We could be way more popular if I told jokes and stories, shortened my messages, that's for sure, really shortened them down, got you out of here in an hour so you can get to the buffet and do everything we want to do, and then made you feel good with good behavior modification. That's just not who I am. And that's not who you are. Yeah! It's not about being popular. The right people will come, and if you stay, we will build something that will be an incredible contrast to shift the city. Because I'm going to sit with the congressman this week. And I sat with six pastors last week. And two weeks ago, I prayed at the city council. And I live next to Michael Hunter. And I'm actively involved in the fight against abortion. And I'm actively, we are supporting the Pregnancy Resource Center. We are on a mission to drive back darkness. I just need more people in the fight. Yeah. So we laud Jesus. We laud Jesus out of our mouth. Learn the word. Speak it. And don't just be weird religious quoting scriptures. Know it in your heart. Make it applicable to you. Can I give you a scripture that's been so burning on my forehead the last month? It's not even in my notes. But I know it so well because I made it so applicable. It's Psalm 13, 6. Reuben and I were, were going over this. He'll remember it now. He says, how do you remember scriptures? I'm like, you know what I do? Where's he at? You remember this scripture? You know why I sing? I'm going to sing. You know why I sing? Because Jesus dealt bountifully with me. And he dealt bountifully with you. You should all sing. He died on the cross. You've been set free. The blood's been shed. It's finished now. So the enemy's defeated. He's under my feet. So the liar that tries to lie to me is already a lost cause. Why would I give him a second in my day? 
So when you used to be broke, busted, disgusted, when I used to live for drugs, alcohol, and sleeping around, and lying, and cheating, and stealing, and my own self-gratification, now I live to propel my family, you, and for the king of kings. Now I've been redeemed. When I once was in the prison house and on the streets, now God has given me a beautiful house and a family and businesses and great coffee, and now a life to spread the gospel and transform a city in both the economy and the spiritual atmosphere. I will sing to the Lord. I'm just ready to start singing right now. I think I'm going to sing. I just feel a song coming in my heart. Yeah! Hey, hey, I'm going to sing to the Lord because he's so good to me. Woo! Yeah! All right, turn the camera off. Turn the camera off. Oh, gosh, we're live streamed. Now I'm in trouble. See, this isn't a spiritual age thing. This isn't how long you've been mourning. The day you give your life to Jesus, you have the power and the ability through your voice to establish perfect praise. Perfect praise is the perfect declaration in my worship, in my prayer life, in my discipline life, in my public life, in everywhere I go, it's a perfect declaration. But the enemy always wants to bring shame, dishonor, and guilt into your life. And he does that because he's envious. Mark 15, 9 says that when Jesus was going to the cross, Pontius Pilate said to the people, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. You know what envy means? I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want what you have. And that's the problem with social media or comparison. Stop comparing yourself to someone else. Be you. Be uniquely you. Be loved the way you are. It's okay. You're in process. I get it. You bombed it. You blew it. Yeah, I did that a thousand times. And somehow God's given me this microphone in this church and put me here. You're going to be all right. Don't be envious and don't let the envy of another hold you back. To conclude, here's my points. I was asked recently, like, that was a great message, but what was your point? So I have decided today to tell you what my point was. <laughs> Tie it in. All right. Here's my point. There is an enemy. He hates you. He's an avenger. He wants to strike back at your life for being a Christian. He hates Jesus and you, and he, he wants to take malicious revenge on his defeat at the cross. He works on overtime, not part-time, to inflict pain, lies, and keep you from the covenant life and love God has so freely given to you. He wants to poison your mind with lies about Jesus yourself and that what you say isn't true and what you believe isn't true, that they're lies, and then he wants to taint people around you. People are going to envy you. They're going to be indignant towards you. They're going to not accept you or like you, and that's okay. We're not man-pleasers. We're Jesus-pleasers. The enemy and the avenger wants your countenance to be shame and for you to never be honored by God or others. Therefore, he wants you to stand accused for the errors of your way every day of your life. But Jesus. Let's everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus. 
But Jesus, he will use you and ordain you right now, right where you're at, even in your immaturity, your brokenness, your lameness, and your blindness, to perfect praise and to laud him. If you want to silence the voice of the enemy, your praise will, be, will literally shut down the voice of the enemy as you laud and declare and worship. And that avenger that wants to stop you won't have any more power in your mind. Declare his word. And he calls it perfect praise, meaning that we declare by our mouth the spoken word. Know who he is. Know who you are. If you're not born again, you'll never know your real self. If you've ever said this to, to yourself, I just want to know who I am, or I hear this all the time, I'm in the process of rediscovering or reinventing myself, or I'm in the process of finding out who I am. You will never get into real process until you let Jesus get in your business. Because your identity is not the titles that you had in your past. Your, the identity is in who you are now. Do you understand that? I had a lot of titles and a lot of labels, but now I'm a son. Now I'm redeemed, chosen, born again, set free. Now I can be the dad, the husband, the father, the son that I'm called to be because of him. So I love you. I want you to walk here strong. So if you're not born again and you're backslidden or battling major thoughts of depression, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, if your head's spinning, if you lay down at night and you can't sleep because your mind's racing, even if you're having to take melatonin or something to help relax you, let's pray yeah. that you can get past that. Yes. Let's believe that you can get past that. Let's believe that you can find sweet sleep and perfect peace now. Let's start contending for it by lauding the Lord and not letting those things get in your head. At bedtime, shut off the TV and turn off Facebook, get in the Word, put some headphones on and listen to worship and fall asleep to the truth as it penetrates inside of you and creates perfect praise to silence the lies of the enemy so that you don't spin out in your head. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.